Folks, welcome to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling. I'm your host, Mark Rigadonna, and with me, as always... Richie Byrne. Yes! Uh, we are back, and uh, now we're with JD, all the way from Spain. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I gotta say, I, I've never met Mark in my life. I know <laughs> I do why he said that, but, you know, that's... That's how show business works. You ju you just need to know that. It's my very good friend, Andy <laughs> Shapiro. <laughs> someone super famous. Someone who, yeah. No, I, I, I've known Mark for, wow. When did we meet? Like, fifteen you, years ago or so. It was probably about fifteen years ago. Do you know how much I appreciated your friendship? You know what I still had, and I just found on my bookshelf. Knights of the Not So Round Table. If you guys are interested and want to buy JD's script, I can set. I I'm selling it. Yes. I need the money. It's worth at least as much as you need for kindling. <laughs> <laughs> this actually, it's an amazing script. It's very funny. Yeah. It's comedy. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's in the. Uh, I haven't set it up yet, but it, uh, I need to focus on that because uh, the world needs some laughter now but it's in the vein of what i did with robin hood men in tights yeah it's, uh, it's great. great yeah great. uh well before we dive into yeah. talking about that um we start every show with a drink and a joke so let's go around the horn and see what everybody's drinking richie we'll start with you because i have a feeling i know what you're drinking i'm drinking jmo today which is I'm, I'm probably going back on the wagon tomorrow but for right now little jmo I was expecting Johnny Walker. I can't believe it. I know, but I had a little bottle of JMO from something I did recently, and I said, ah, let me get rid of that. It was like, well, <laughs> how about you, Tom? What are you drinking? And I am going with Black Label today because I do enjoy oh. it as my early day drink. It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> I am, uh, I had a bottle of that gigantic bottle of Sky Vodka that I've had since the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> so I, uh, I have a little vodka and I put some seltzer in there. What do you got, JD? You're going. I love well, it. in my namesake, I've got Jack Daniels. So, in a nice. Flask. Uh -oh. I think that's our first flask. I know. I, I, I love it. He has the, the look, the mustache, he, and then he has the flask. I feel like after the thing, he's going to hop on a horse and go. <laughs> he's a regular uh, gaucho. Actually, I've got my uh, Don Quixote uniform waiting, and the uh, <laughs> my my stag is outside. <laughs> I love it. Cheers to you, man! For, thank you for coming. Thank you for on. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. So, uh, to meet you guys, and I love seeing Mark. So uh, the second be married with kids, we can talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, we definitely gotta we gotta catch up Mark because is, Mark I didn't even. That people should have to get a license before they have kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got to see his kids pretty much take care of him. Oh, that I believe. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can you get daddy's get daddy's clothes out of the drawer? I can't make it over. I'm too too hungover. It's weird when your five year old is your designated driver. <laughs> <laughs> I make them wear uh, what are the they put on the big. Uh, trench coat and they stand on each other's shoulders <laughs> they drive me around town <laughs> so the second thing we do is we like to always tell a joke and so we're going to put jd on the spot here and ask if he has a joke he'd like to share with us yeah as a, as a comedian i've, I've, I've gotten no I, I, 
Okay, the only joke that comes to mind is one uh, I had. I had a friend who went to uh, my cousin went to Harvard, and they used to joke about uh, Yale. And the joke is, uh, uh, I went to visit my Harvard Harvard guy went to visit the Yale uh, library, and he was very impressed because they 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 had one book in the entire library, but it hadn't been colored in yet. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Richie, did you have one? Richie always has one. No, you know, um, I was going to tell one I've told before, just because Mark's a, a Mark. JD's a uh, uh, been in film, and my favorite. It's my favorite. It's the right uh, the director and the producer are having lunch. And the producer says to the director, "What'd you think of that girl I sent over for the screen test yesterday?" And the director goes, "Ah, oh, she was ugly. She was crass." She was grossly overweight. She was so classless. The producer goes, hey, that's my daughter. The director goes, let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> let me finish. I, uh, <laughs> so I guess uh, we were just talking about it. Let's, get, let's dive into... Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you even got started into the, what came first, stand-up, yeah, film, writing? Oh, yeah, no, stand-up was way later on. Um, never never grew up thinking about being – I always appreciated stand-up comedy, and in a way it influenced my life. I, I grew up – we had this uh, – I had this one friend, and when I go to his house, we weren't allowed to watch TV. His parents would put on these – you know, make us at the time listen to these comedy albums. But it, in retrospect, it greatly influenced me. Everything from yeah. uh, uh, um, uh, Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, uh, 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 Mel Brooks, uh, 3000, 2000, or whatever, 3000, 2000 year old man, uh, <laughs> Monty Python. So I'm eight years old, I think, when I started <laughs> to listen to this stuff, being like, oh, I want to watch TV. And that greatly influenced me, but I started out acting, actually. I went to, I got into HB Studios. Uta Hagen used to yell at me all the time, which I heard was a good thing. Men, <laughs> she, thought it was, she thought it was good, but man, she would yell at me. What are you doing? It's too big. Um, <laughs> this is the camera. It's right here. Shut up. It's you. She, she was great. That really wasn't her accent, but it, it sounds better if it's like a thick German thing. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah it makes you a little more scared. Like, she she was very scared. You know, in retrospect, I, I I don't know how scary. She, but back then, she was very scary. And <laughs> um, so, but I, I started doing some plays and some some commercials and stuff. And I always was wondering behind the camera or talking to the people behind the stage. And I realized quickly I got more interested in what was going on behind the scenes. And so my goal was to be a director. Now, my mom says I, I always wrote. She tells a great story that uh, I'm dyslexic, um, but I wasn't diagnosed at the time. And she said she went to my teacher, Mrs. Green, who is one of those rare, rare teachers who who understood things because what my mom, I, she, I'd write these papers and every other word was circled in red as a mistake, but I get A's or A pluses. And my mom went to Mrs. Green and said, I don't, I don't understand why you give me MA pluses or A's. And she said, I think he's very creative. And if I start 
getting down on him for his spelling and grammar, I'm afraid that will end. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm lucky. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. What a great teacher. Yeah. That's, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm incredibly lucky because I would believe, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time the teacher would have been, in, and, and it might have killed my creativity. So I got interested in directing. I went out to LA. I knew the best way to get into directing was writing. So originally it was ends to a mean. And then unfortunately, I guess I was good at it. And I started making money. I say unfortunately because writing is a terrible business. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have two quotes I love, and I'm going to forget the second one. One is from Ernest Hemingway, which is, uh, "Writing is easy. All you do is sit down at the typewriter and bleed." <laughs> and and the other one is about oh my god, it's from Dorothy Parker, and it says something like, "The second greatest if you have a if you have a friend who wants to be a writer, the second greatest thing you can do is recommend this book." But of course, the first thing, greatest thing you can do is shoot them now while they're still happy. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard a quote from Dorothy Parker that didn't make me laugh out loud. You know, I, I, she was, I would have, uh, to be part of that, the Algonquin group, yeah. to be able to, uh, that yeah. must have been incredible to be yeah. around those people, especially her. Her wit was so quick. I mean, it was so quick. What was but, her so, line? She, she had a line about drinking martinis at a party. And she said, after one martini, I'm the life of the party. After two martinis, I'm on the table. After three martinis, I'm under the table. And after four martinis, I'm under my host. <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah, that was the inspiration yeah. of our Friday show. We do a show called the the Round Table, yeah. and it was, you know, an inspiration from that crew of trying to get some of the great brains together. I mean, not that Richie and I belong at that table, but oh. <laughs> but we like to invite people on that make us look smart because we know them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you know this. One of the things I miss about being in the States right now is after comedy shows, we'd get together and we'd go out and, you know, a bunch of knuckleheads really. But we, I mean, we had more laughs than the audience did watching our shows because we were just, yeah. you know, busting that each other's chops and whatever might, whatever might, whatever might come up. Uh, that That's one of the things I miss the most about uh, um, being here. Cause it's, it's, I did stand up once here and it was great because none of the audience spoke English. So I could just make believe I was. <laughs> it was like being at a Rigadonna gig. <laughs> Nobody yeah. understands anything. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's the whole point of why Richie and I wanted to start this entire thing was, is uh, you get comics, you're hanging out, you're having a drink after a show's over. It That's more fun to me than the show. Um, I, I laugh so hard. I enjoy the company. I enjoy the camaraderie. I enjoy the ball busting. And uh, I, I really just, I, I absolutely adore that part of this business. And um, well, I've, heard, I've heard athletes, it might have been Michael Strahan who talked about it, but other athletes talk about how um, that's the thing they miss the most is the camaraderie with the other players. Yeah. Um, most even of more so than, than the games sometimes. You know, I mean, I love 
that feeling of being on stage, even when it doesn't work. And there's a lot of times it doesn't work. <laughs> but ap afterwards, I mean, that should probably be the comedy show. We should probably put, put Andy Kaufman. You know, we, you and I should do this. We should get a couple of, you know, the three of us or the four, if you want to join too, should, should, should do a show where we're just on stage Forget the audiences there and, and just tell each other stories. Dress the dress the stage like the green room. And we're all sitting yeah, back there yeah. waiting to go on. <laughs> yeah. And de depending what green room it is, it's going to be really disgusting then. Have you ever been in the green room in the comedy store in L.A.? No. <laughs> I, I can only imagine. I mean, Dangerfields was a was a treat. Yes. I don't think they haven't changed anything. I don't even think they've cleaned it. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, no. The There's worst, still... the worst, I, the worst was, and I, I, I after one time, I, I didn't stay any there anymore. But the worst was actually the apartment that Mitzi Shore owned for the comedy store in San Diego. When you played San Diego, that's where you stay. Truly. Yeah. You know, comedians were all over the place because their shit was all over the place. <laughs> they were written in, I probably could have scraped off stuff and and, re and 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 cooked up Sam Kennison easily. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Jurassic Park. We can get his DNA. Yeah. We yes, <laughs> could have cooked him up and smoked. It's not. It's not coming from a fly. <laughs> Um, so you go out to LA, you find out that you're, that you're making money writing. What are, what's one of the first like paid gigs that stick out in your head? Well, the, the first, the one I remember it. So I, I wrote a screen, I'd written a screenplay, worked on it. I got it to a few people and there was a producer who was making them, wanted to make a movie, um, about kids who were great at video games. And it was called, and they get, actually, the military rounds them up and they get put into a real war situation. I got oh. paid, I got paid, it was my first professional gig. I got paid $500, or I got paid $1,000. $500 to start writing the script, $1,000 when I handed, another 500 when I handed in the script. And uh, if the movie had been made, uh, I get uh, uh, another $9,000. Now, okay. it's the least amount of money I've ever made by far as a writer. But that was, I had become a professional, at least in my mind. So that was my first paid gig. The second one was Men in Tights. Nice. Oh, wow. Did they make the first movie? They made it? No, no. I found out later on that... Something like out of at that time, out of about six, seven thousand screenplays written, one gets sold. And out of everything the studios buy, books, screenplays, everything, they made around five percent. I was naive to how it works. Yeah, yeah. Wow. The, the average independent movie, less than three percent of independent movies that get made ever see the light of day. The odds are extremely high, but I, I don't mind knowing the odds. Because that's the way that you have to figure out how to get around them. But yeah, that one didn't get made. The second one, luckily, did get made. And <laughs> how did that? Thankfully, I got, thankfully I got a lot more than five hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> how did that come about? Men in Sorry? 
How did men in tights come about? It was your idea, right? Yeah. So I um, go to a dentist and I didn't, I didn't realize everyone in LA at that time, I'm, I'm pretty naive, wants to be in the movie business. Anyway, I, you know, I wrote something like, you know, I want to, I'm, you know, a, a budding writer, director, blah, blah, blah. So he said, oh, and, and he made, oh, he walked into the office. And he, I never met him before. He leans into me. I'm in the dentist chair and he goes, is it safe? Now that's the line from Marathon Man when the dentist then tortures the guy. Right, right, so right, I right. first, so we instantly hit it off. He invites me to dinner with his wife and he talks about some of his patients. And one is a guy named Emil Buis. And he said Emil started Brooks Films for Mel in the 70s, I guess 70s. So automatically in my mind, not knowing any better, and people I told were like, okay, yeah, you're fucking crazy. I'm like, okay, I'm going to come up with an idea. I'm going to write a script. I'm going to get it to Mel Brooks. It's going to be made. This is before I know they only make 5% of the movies. So I started thinking of ideas. And then I saw the Kevin Cosner Robin Hood. And I was a huge fan of the Errol Flynn one. And the Kevin Cosner didn't quite have the magic. And suddenly I just, bam, stuck on, instead of prior Tuck, Rabbi Tuckman. So everything came from that moment. So I go to Evan's office. I'm like, I got the idea. I tell it to him. He laughs. He loves it. Um, great. I'll get it to Emil. So I go and I write the script thinking already, I wrote it as if Mel was directing it and playing Rabbi Tuckman. So I wrote the script. Pretty quickly, I wrote it in about two weeks, a little over two weeks. Wow! I gave it to, I gave it to. Yeah, I just when when the idea, like I could feel the idea, just everything came pouring out, and I gave it to Evan. He corrected my spelling and grammar because of my dyslexia. It's, there's a mistake every other word. I've actually been to meetings where someone's reading my script and oh, that's funny. I go what? And they go oh, the way you spelled this. I'm like oh, great. But, <laughs> This is why I love JD so much. I want the laughs. So anyway, so Emil, uh, uh, so then I got this, Evan gives a script to Emil. I get a, I go to Emil's house on a Sunday. I meet with Emil. He was from Belgium, very quiet, would speak. He was a really fucking intelligent guy, I learned quickly. But he said at one point, oh, well, you're a little crazy. Mel's a little crazy. I think this can work. So he... <laughs> Gave the script to Mel Sunday. Monday, I get a phone call saying Mel wants to meet with you on Wednesday. So I'm practicing. I was nervous. It was the first. I don't get nervous so often. I grew up in North Jersey in Hell's Kitchen, and it takes a lot to make get me nervous. But I, I was. And I thought, okay, how am I going to, when I introduce myself, should I say, like, oh, it's good to be the king or the Inquisition? Um, <laughs> all I did was shake his hand and say, nice to meet you. And I sit down at a table and Mel starts pacing. I bet you think this is the best script ever written. I bet you think this is the best fucking script that's ever been written in the world. And I said, well, Mel, I'm, I'm hard on my work. I, I reread it before I came here. And, you know, I, I still, make it, still think it needs some work. Oh, yeah. How much work does it need? I said, I think it's about 70, 75% ready to shoot a shooting draft. And then he said, okay, yeah, you know, but that other 25% is a lot of work. So we started talking and he said, if you could have anything you want, what would it be? 
I said, anything? He's like, anything. I said, you produce it, I direct it. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes, okay, kid, he's going to call me kid, or kid or the kid. Okay, kid, get out of the office. I'll think about it. By the time I got home, I got a, I had a message on my machine. For those of you who don't know, there used to be these machines that would give messages to people. <laughs> and it was from Mel's assistant. Can you call? Mel wants to talk to you. Call up. Do you want to have lunch tomorrow? Yeah, of course. Okay. So we had lunch and ended up. That's the rest is history. Wow. Although there's a lot of, I can go on and on and on about stories. Here's one of my favorite ones. We're at the uh, commissary one day, and um, uh, 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 um, I'm blanking on his name, James Bond, I'm sorry, Sir, Sir Sean Connery, uh, joins us. So chatting, 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 and then I and Mel says, "Oh yeah, I'm doing this movie, Robin Hood." And then uh, so I say to Sean, "You should play King Richard." Now Mel looked at me like, "Jesus Christ, this kid has balls." And <laughs> Sean goes, well, you know, I've, 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 I played Robin Hood, Lottie. I said, yeah, in, in Robin and Marion. I know it well. And he was, I think, a little impressed and I knew it. And he takes a moment and he goes, what if I play Queen Richard? I'm like, <laughs> Queen Richard? What do you mean? He goes, I'll come in as Queen Richard. I'll add dress and a tiara and earrings. I'm like, oh, Robin, Robin, oh, Robin, Robin. And I'm like, are you being serious? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I think you should be And I'm like, holy fucking shit, this is the greatest thing in the fucking world. I'm going to have, you know, when you talk about a man's man, I mean, yeah. you know, through the history of time, who is there? John Wayne, uh, uh, somebody else, and John Sean Connery. Connery. Yeah. This is awesome. And Mark Richardson. What? And yes, of course. Well, I mean, yeah, if you want real man. That, that's true, but he wasn't available at the time, and he was only ten. So, so I, I, I'm super excited, and then it all just it went off the rails because Mel was actually Mel was, was we went back to the office and Ann was there, uh, Ann Bancroft, his wife, and when Mel said, "Oh, we just had lunch," with I Tom love Connor, that you just said Ann was there. Like, yeah, no, but like I talk about Richie. You're talking about. What did well, she say? You know, I'm from Hollywood. Actually, I don't, since if I know someone, I don't have to say Ann. I can just say Eh was there. If I, if I, if I, if I'm sitting in the same restaurant, like I was sitting in the same restaurant once with Brad Pitt. Now I know people will say I had dinner with Brad Pitt. I won't go that far. But because I was in the same restaurant, and he walked past me, I can just say, bruh. So it's a Hollywood thing, you know. And I'm, sorry, I, I, I'm not trying to name drop. But if I if I know someone you sound drop. friends of Anne. What? You sound drop. You don't name drop. You just exactly. sound drop. Syllable drop. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so eh, was really flustered that sure was there. And... And when she left, Mel was really jealous. And then ultimately, uh, the studio was excited. Sean Connery's agent wanted a million dollars for the day. It was like, done. The studio would have put up the extra money. And then Mel 
blew it out of the water. And ultimately, I thought it was because of Anne, but Mel didn't want the attention. He knew that this would be such a talked about ending that Sean Connery in the movie would take over from him. And so wow. that ended wow. that. You know, it is close to have Sean Connery in a dress in my movie. Oh, Robin. This oh. is the movie, too, that also kind of launched Chappelle into the ethos of yeah, fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I'm going to pat myself on the back. So we, uh, wanna, we um, want you to. Let's hear this story. Uh, Mel wanted a, a comedian who I won't name, Eddie Griffin. And um, <laughs> Eddie came to the first meeting with his bodyguard. Now understand, Eddie wasn't a big star, and we were on the Fox lot. It's pretty safe. Mm -hmm. Came with his bodyguard, he's a new, new ex-New York Giant who fell asleep. And I was like, to Eddie, you realize I can like chop him in the neck and kill him in about three seconds. He's sound asleep, and then I can kill you. The next meeting Eddie came to, he brought his writer. And I'm like, uh-huh. And I'm thinking, well, Mel's not going to have under this because I'm not. And I'm like, look. Because he's like, Eddie is a black man this, and Eddie is a black man this. I go, whoa, this has nothing to do with black and white. We've spoken to Eddie Murphy about possibly playing Robin Hood. This is the sidekick. Yes, Patrick Stewart was fucking awesome. Yeah, he was. Anyway, someone just This, and he's a terrific guy. This was the sidekick role, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he leaves, and I'm waiting. I'm ready, because I'm like, okay, well, good. This is done. Cause, and Mel was like, oh, I, I still like him. He reminded him of, and I'm blanking who the actor was in, um, uh, 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 he, he reminded him of the actor from Blazing Saddles for some reason. Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah. Really? So I was not happy. So I went to, I was very lucky. I was, uh, usually as a writer, people know you, you, you sell a script and then they're like, thank you, get the fuck out. And if you can, please don't even come to the premiere. <laughs> but, you know, it's true. Yeah, actually, you have to. The WGA put it in the contract that the writer has to be at the premiere. Now, personally, really? I don't like. Yeah. Now, personally, I don't like seeing my movies after they're done because I just see what I didn't get. So I, I have to be dragged to premieres a lot of times. Although the now the flip side is there are contracts that actually say you have to be at the premiere and we will fly you there if you're not in town. Anyway, so. So I go to our main, we had two casting directors. I went to our main casting director. I said, look for other people. And so she's looking for other people. In the meantime, I'm negotiating with Eddie's uh, agent at, at William Morris, a guy named Lee Stallman. And Lee keeps upping the price. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. I'm like, Lee, you know, Mel is fucking cheap. He's not, you know, Mel's like, but this is a great crossover movie for him. He doesn't know a white, a white audience doesn't know him. But Lee keeps upping the price. And then so I finally convinced Mel. I'm like, I found some people. I hadn't yet. Let me just show them to you. All right, fine. And we set the date. I set the date for a couple of days later. So I'm looking through all these tapes. And Dave Chappelle just fucking jumped out at me. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, you guys know this is a comedian. It was real. It was honest. It was raw. It was brilliant. And so, and I'm like, I'm, I'm watching him and I know my, my instincts are pretty good. I'm like, he can act. So I had Lindsay Shag, our casting director, put together a reel of five people. First one, okay. Second one, really bad. Third one, yeah. Fourth one is Dave and the fifth one is bad. On purpose. So <laughs> sit down with Matthew. 
<laughs> you know, because some other people I liked, but no, this was the guy I wanted. You sit knew. down with Mel. I just felt it. I mean, it was honest. It was so on. It wasn't the funniest comedian I'd seen at that point, but it was. I didn't care. It was honest. It was yeah. real. It was. You, you know. So, um, so we sit down with Mel, play the thing, and he's like, "Go back to that number." Three. I'm like number three or four. Let me, oh yeah, this guy. And it was Dave. And he really he he you know yeah he seems pretty good. He seems pretty good. And then Dave got the part. And wow. the first time I met Dave, I walked into the set and Dave comes up to me. Oh man, man! He gives you a big hug. He goes, I, I heard you're the one who. You, I, you know, I didn't. Someone told him, you know, you're the one that fought for me to get this part. Should I should I blow you or something? What what should I do? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I said yes, of course. And it was a very, it was a nice job. I mean, you're not crazy. <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah. Who's going to turn down a blow job from anyone? <laughs> <laughs> so the the movie comes out, everything's going, uh, going good. And when did you decide stand up? Okay. So. Hanging out with Mel, we would joke back and forth a lot, um, and and then Dave and other people. So so what happened? I, I'm dyslexic, as I mentioned. I had this tremendous fear of public speaking. I, I made an independent movie called We Married Margot, and it's a comedy. And yeah. I got into a lot of I got into a lot of really big festivals. And that I was shot to- different than any movie at that time. I mean, I think there might have been stuff now that. Yeah, that come yeah. across, but you shot, and and I remember because you gave me the DVD when we were hanging out, and you said I want you to watch this, and I watched it, and I'm I put myself because that was what like nine, no, it would have been two thousand, and I watched yeah, yeah. it and said I've never seen anything like this, because I I graduated ninety nine, so I anything before high school I've never seen anything shot like this. It was very almost mockumentary slash, but it was still a, a movie. It was still, there were acting and there was, it was, it was really intelligently done. I loved it. Thank you. I have to say when the, at times the crew thought I was insane because I would literally cut in the middle of a sentence and go, you know, that it's going to be picked up in the next scene because it had three styles to it. It had the doc, the documentary style the typical film style, and then it had a cartoon style. I grew up very influenced by by Looney Tunes. Bugs Bunny is my my only hero, and uh, I have people I admire, but Bugs is it. Is that why you're Looney you're Tunes. right outside of Seville, Seville, Spain? Because <laughs> yeah. you want to be the rabbit of Seville. <laughs> I still haven't been. I'm like I'm gonna sing. I'm gonna sing the opera of Seville the way Bugs Bunny did. Of course, I'm gonna get the hat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, um, so between Bugs Bunny, Kurt Vonnegut Jr., because he had doodles in his books, so I would read his books. Um, all the albums I talked about, uh, Woody Allen, it, you can certainly see the influences of Woody Allen. You can see the influence of Truffaut. You can definitely see the influences of, um, of Charlie Chaplin. So it just became, and the way my mind works is it, if you can't tell, it skips all over the place. So I had to introduce the movie. 
And so, and I had to do it in a, in a funny way. So I was forced to talk in front of audiences. Then when I was at Aspen for the, uh, I was asked to be the, my, my publishers talked them into being, me being the presenter for the first ever Women in Film Awards by telling them that a large majority of my key people were women. That was true. And he told them I'd been doing stand-up for years, a complete lie. I'd never done stand-up <laughs> in my life. <laughs> so now um, I'm the MC. I'm scared shitless. We're driving there. They think there's going to be around 50 people because there's a snow. There's supposed to be a snowstorm and whatever. I'm still, I'm like, I'm, I, I don't pray, but I'm praying that we get lost and we don't make it there. And on the way, I want a drink. I got to get a drink, you know, and there's no place. Everything's closed. So I get there and, and Galen, no, no, it wasn't Galen. No, Galen Hurd instantly hated me when she first met me, when she found that I was the MC. They had a big MC and he dropped out. Anyway, I get there and one of the other of the three women, I'm blanking on her name, says, uh, Roller Girl is is here. Um, what, what's her name? Uh, beautiful actor. Graham. Uh, yeah. Thank Graham. You. They'll probably be the MC. And I'm like, great. So I go up to uh, Heh. I go to Heh. And I say, <laughs> I say, oh, you're going to MC? And she's like, I'm not MCing. I go, why not? She goes, I'm not funny. You're funny. I say, who says I'm funny? No one says I'm funny. So we go back and forth. Whatever. So now I'm the MC. I'm looking for a drink. The only thing they have is wine. I'm like, that's not going to work. I did what I did in sports. I played in high school and I would have been college football. And I would uh, go punch or wrestle and punch out the locker. So I go into the bathroom and start beating on a stall, not realizing someone's in it. And um, scared the shit out of that guy. <laughs> so 50 people is 300 people. I go on stage and I say, I knew, I, I forget what my, what my, what the rest of the act was, but I remember the opening line and my sisters who were part of my producers and other producers said it was real interesting. The press was kind of like not paying attention. He started because, you know, first they had a few people speak and start. But after I said the line, all of a sudden they said every camera and I was on you. And it went amazing. The opening line was something like, here we are at the first annual Women in Film Award. And once again, women are being screwed, up, screwed over. Not only do you have a man as an MC, but you have a man that nobody has ever heard of. <laughs> and... Because I knew they were all thinking, who the fuck is this? So, <laughs> you know, it, it, was a, it was a great, at the end of the evening, Gail on her runs up, gives me a big hug, we have to do movies together, blah, blah, blah. But I was still scared. Then my cousin calls me up, a second co or cousin once removed, whatever, and asked me to be the keynote speaker at her high school, which is <laughs> like right in the heart of D.C. somewhere, or not D.C., but outside of D.C., and I'm, I'm not the keynote. Well, yeah, I'm the keynote, but, oh, the person before, I'm, I'm actually, the warm-up guy is Dick Cheney. So, <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, J.D. This is, this is like 2003. Dick, Dick couldn't be there. He had business. What we found out is Dick had a heart attack or heart problems. But oh. anyway, so I gave, I gave a speech there, and again, it, it went well. And, oh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm missing the big part. Before that, sorry, before that, I'm in Ashton for the comedy festival because my movie's there. So I introduced the movie. 
And I had three people there say to me, you should be doing stand-up. One was a woman named uh, uh, Randy Arbach, who was a manager at Brostein Gray. Uh, another one was, well, actually, Donna and John Moffat. And John was one of the guys who ran the festival. And he had, they, you know, together, she always went with him. He had directed the best of the best of comedians. The third person, I don't know if you ever know, if you know who his name is, but I was, I asked him to come see my movie and he was very nice, but he couldn't see, he was going snowboarding. And um, I saw him a day later and I asked how snowboarding was and he said something. And when the hub, the hub was in the, uh, in, in, and uh, oh, I'm breaking the name of hotel, but the hub when, anyway, he makes a joke and I make a joke. And the next thing I know, we're going back and forth and I have this out of body experience because all these people are watching. Anyway, we went at it for about 10 minutes or so. I actually made some good friends. Dan Myrick from Blair Witch and I became friends because of that moment. Anyway, his name was Robin Williams. And so, 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 so we joke, joke, joke. I hug, and I realized I'm fucking doing, you know, whatever, it was an out-of-body experience. And, and, and we ran into him a few times, and he's like, where, where are you doing stand-up? I go, I don't do stand-up. And he was like, you should. And over the years, I'd see him in what? places in L.A. The sweetest, nicest human being who is on the planet. And so, and, and so finally, after, and then, I, then later, I did the, did the, um, did the uh, 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 speech, and then I started doing stand-up. And of course, compared to what happened... The first time I ever did it at the Women in Film Awards in the speech, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the first gig I ever did was at the Laugh Factory. I go on stage with a notebook. Now, here's the weird thing. I didn't know comics all buy the meme notebook. No one told me this. But I, that's what I bought. I don't know why. Maybe it was osmosis. I have no fucking clue. <laughs> so I go on stage with the book. And I take the stool and I put, and people are laughing. I don't know why they're laughing. Put the book, and I'm literally reading my act because I'm so afraid <laughs> of forgetting it. And the laughter gets less and less because they realize, oh, he's he's not doing a bit. He's not a bit. <laughs> he actually doesn't. <laughs> so, so yeah, which so was, there was a lot of like you know blank stares in many audiences from there. I learned to let go later on about worrying about it. But anyway, one time, like people would, people would come in his, drop in his guest at the comedy store. A lot of times to work, I mean, famous comedians to, to work out routines. And like, I mean, I had to perform after Chris Rock a couple of times. I might've been doing naked jumping jacks. No one's going to pay attention. But I never, <laughs> heard the, I never heard the audience explode. The way it was, you would as you would do your set. And then if you didn't, someone might hand you a note or you knew beforehand, and then you would introduce the next comedian. You know, you got mitigate. This was the main room. I'm sorry, the, the original room where you got 15 minutes. You can stretch it to 19 sometimes. Go after that, then you'd be penalized. But anyway, so whoever it was announced, you know, uh, you know, no needs no introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, Robin Williams. Now it was a packed. The, the room homes 200 and something people. It was packed. And you could see the audience is like not sure. And he walks on stage. It went insane. Oh. I mean, insane. Right. So after the show, he sees me. And again, we used to run into each other. We, we weren't close friends by any means. But he sees me and he's like, JD. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, so you're doing it. 
I said, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, it, and he gives me a big hug, which was rather disgusting because he was fucking sweaty. <laughs> the, 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 the bo the I, hair I, I, I just took a shower of sweat but anyway super super sweet guy but that's how i ended up getting into stand-up now, let, me, let me ask you in do you think that held any weight with like a mitzi that he saw you and went oh my god jd i'm glad you're doing it like did did you think it helped you move forward at all or no because at at you know, I'm trying to remember if I became a maid. I think I was already a maid man, and Mitzi wasn't there and didn't didn't see it. And if she had, I'm not even sure she would have cared. I don't know if she would have cared, but I mm -hmm. think I was already a maid man at mm -hmm. that. Uh, that's the expression, a paid regular. Yeah. At that, at that point. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah. No, Mitzi was re none of it. Like I kept it secret that I was a writer. She had no idea. Wow. She actually, Mitzi, and she didn't know that um that uh, uh uh that i'd only been doing stand-up for a little over a year uh she thought i'd been doing it for 10. so wow. what would happen ah. writing helped the writing helped a lot i mean i've been writing for that point uh for a decade well my whole life according to my mom but professionally for a decade right. so although although being a writer is very different than being a stand-up i had the acting background and essentially my 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 stand-up had to catch up to my writing but mm -hmm. she saw enough there and she made me a paid regular. And, um, um, but yeah, when she found out, she found someone outed me, uh, that I was a writer and it was weird. Cause I had, I had two bad things happen with Mitzi at the same time. She found out I was a writer, good and bad. So I meet with her. She wants to turn her story into a movie. So I set up, she finds out I've done all these things. I have a meeting with her. And I, I tell ICM, so ICM, then we all meet with ICM, and ICM makes all these promises, and of course, typically as agents, nothing happened. So she blamed me, even though everyone's like, you can't blame him. And then she was like, oh, I thought you'd been doing stand-up for 10 years. I heard it's only been like a year and a half. And you're a writer. I'm like, well, you know I'm a writer. Yeah, but you're a writer. And I'm like, and she's like, Gary Shandling was a writer. And it took him six years. I'm like, okay. So I went from getting these great spots, spot, I mean, great spots, getting a, a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of times it was late at night. I had just me and the piano player, but I was getting spots in the OR. She was sending me to uh, San Diego a lot. And then it was like, I was punished and I was like, you know, not getting a lot of spots. And then, you know, she's like, oh, well, go practice in the belly room. And I'm like, <laughs> belly room. Uh, <laughs> I it's funny because when when you came to New York and we were hanging out regularly, I I think it was one night after the show, like you were getting up and stand up New York and doing your spots, and then we'd go to Barcelona Bar. Funny enough, you're in Spain now, and you lived above <laughs> the Barcelona Bar, <laughs> and we'd be sitting at the Barcelona Bar, and you were like, "Yeah, I've only been doing it like five years." I'm like, "Bullshit." It's bullshit. How is he so good at five years? Well, I, I still think I have a lot to learn. And, um, you know, but the writing helped. It wasn't like I just got on stage and was like, hey, it was mm -hmm. a decade. of. Uh, it was my whole life of writing, uh, yeah. a decade of professional writing. And really, two things. Again, being grateful, greatly influenced when I was a little kid listening to all these albums and 
when I decided to do something like the study up on it, now I, I don't read how-to books for the most part because those don't work for me. But I read the stories about just comedians talking, and 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 Woody Allen has this great uh, interview he did in the, I guess it was the '60s, just talking about comedy and stuff. So that I had gotten my hands on, and 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 other comedians, uh, um, you know, uh, listening to him. I think you know it helped to be around, you know. Uh, you know, when I was with Mel, I'd meet a lot of other comedians. Uh, Jim Carrey, we almost got to do. Uh, I wanted, uh, you know, I, I liked him when we met him. Mel didn't think he was a big screen actor. I, I think that was good for Jim because he did. Then, then he did uh, Pet Detective, which was to me a much better movie and highlighted him more. But I think that to us, I think through those experiences, it, it really helped. It wasn't. But again, in the beginning, oh, my God, it was it was it was. It was terror. I mean, you know, you have to. You realize that you really are passionate about it when you completely bomb, and you get off the stage and you want to do two things. Secondly, you want to go kill yourself, but mostly you want to run back up on stage and do it again to try and get it right. I remember meeting a guy who once said to me, "You know, oh, you know, you liked my act. We were talking. He said, you know, I did stand up for a few months, but it wasn't just for me.'" And I thought, "Lucky son of a." Bitch. <laughs> Why didn't I feel like that? Why couldn't it be like bowling, you know? Okay, stay, yeah, do it once in a while. Who cares? It's like, fuck, he's lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I want to go back real quick because we talked about uh, um, Margot. Um, you did that in 2000, and it went out, and it did really great with a lot of awards, and it was... Artistically, you had to be like just beaming. You know, it's again, I can't look at my I, I look at my work and I think I could have done it so much better. It was nice to get the feedback I got, um, you know, but it we, had to be the know, film got... you wanted to make because it, it was different than anything I've ever seen. It wasn't like they took your script yeah, I mean, and put it into the regular machine and make it normal. Like you had this like beautiful yeah. out there movie. Well, I had, I was, I was either proud or stupid. I could have done it as a TV series first, which would have been just me as a writer, creative executive producer, but not the director. And, and they wanted to make it more, much more typical uh, at Sony. And William Morris wanted it to go out the coverage was so good on the script, they actually uh, resent it up for coverage because they didn't believe it and it came back better. Geez, I sound like I'm so impressive. Trust me, <laughs> I've done a lot of shit in my life. We're talking about the good stuff. We're leaving out the 90% hey, man. of the stuff. This is drink jokes you know and storytelling. We just play the hits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a top 40 podcast. We play the no, hits. I could have done it as a regular movie which again would have changed it, but I just felt like, I mean, yeah, when I'm proud is I made the movie for about $280,000, about 320,000 in. I shot it film, I shot it 35 millimeter film, I shot three different types of film on two different cameras for the different looks. And I shot in a ton of locations, mostly in LA, some in New York, one in Florida. So if someone said to me, hey, do you want to make this movie now? I'd be like, even on digital, I'd be like, are you, are you crazy? 
in, and I shot in 17 days, and then I shot another three days after after I did my first round of editing. I'm like, that's insane. So I didn't know it. I didn't. A lot of my life is not knowing better. I didn't know better that like the chances of Mel Brooks even reading my script was slim to none. I didn't know better that yeah. there was no way for this budget I should do this movie. I'm presently in not knowing better and and have interest in a movie that like no one Spanish would dare to make a satire on Planko. <laughs> so, but also oh, it's 2000, you make the movie you want to make, but you also made a movie you didn't want to make. <laughs> oh yeah. Can you tell us about that's, your journey to the Razzie? Yeah. Well, that's a, how much time do we have? That's a long, I'm trying to condense it. How much uh, time do we have? We could go another 10, I think. Yeah, you go a little break. Right oh, okay, quickly, I wrote a script. Uh, John Travolta loved it. That's when he signed on to play the good guy. He wasn't playing the bad guy. He was playing Johnny Goodboy Tyra. He called it, when we met, which sounds insane, he called it the uh, uh, Schindler's List of sci-fis. That sounds crazy. Wow. But anyone who wants to read, but he didn't know this. I'd actually been watching Nazi documentaries to incorporate that feeling into the movie. If anyone wants to read my original script, I'd be more than happy to send it to him. You can contact <laughs> I actually, it's- I actually do. Okay. Yeah, uh, I read and I saw the one with the markups. Yeah, uh, if you want to read it, you can email my assistant Maggie at jdsast at mac.com. Or you can go on my website, jdshapiro.com, and you can find the email address. And I'll send you the script. I'll send you the original Robin Hood Men in Tights too that I wrote my my spec script. If you oh, want. I would love. Uh, my wife would die for that. She loves. Okay, yeah. Loves the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just just email me. I'll I'll send you those. It's fun to compare that to the shoot. Most of it's there. I won't go into why. No, got a writing credit on that. Uh, oh, young I <laughs> <laughs> I think what we're saying is, JD, we have to have you back on. Yes, ASAP. I'm dying to hear that. I, no, it, it, it'd be great. You know, hanging out with Mark. It's only an hour, but it feels like a year. <laughs> <laughs> if you're ever, if you ever get diagnosed and it's fatal, and they they give you a timeline. Have me move in. I'll make it feel like you have a long way to go. That's perfect. You know what? I think you could actually make a lot of money going to hospice places. (laughs) (laughs) It's a new business we just all created. So we each own 25%. Deal. Now we'll give Mark... Mark, you have to. You, you got to go. So you get fifty percent. We'll we'll split the other fifty percent. Yeah. And we well, as long as I get travel and meals, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that can easily be arranged because you're basically giving people who have weeks left, decades to live, <laughs> decades to continue their life. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have somebody next Wednesday? We should just have Jamie no, no. back for the follow. up no. If he wants to come Can back. Can you come back on next Wednesday? Same time? Same? Like, let me check with Maggie, but I think, yeah, because now, now is it because like, I'm six hours ahead of you. So unless I have a dinner meeting, let me just check quickly if I have something. Not that if my calendar means anything, hers does. <laughs> <laughs> He's worse than Richie. Because I, 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 I got to tell you, I always 
like I wanted to go back to Men in Tights because he Mel did that TV show when things were rotten back in the seventies. So I just figured that, and Dick Van Patten was in it and everything. And I always thought it didn't make it, and he always loved the idea, so let me make a movie now. I never knew that it was your idea. Like, that's amazing. Well, here's what, inter- here's what you, you bring up a good point. So after, like, a few days or whatever that Mel and I were hanging out, he said, well, you know, I did this TV series, though, where things were rotten. And I said, no. And he said it spoofed the yeah. time period. I don't, and so, uh, no. So he arranged, he got me, I think there were six episodes or seven. Something like that, got, yeah. He, he got me the, the, the episodes. I think I watched two. It was, I was not, I didn't enjoy it, but Mel definitely responded to the script because it was a world he loved because like exactly what you just said, because he had done that. He loved the world. He wasn't happy that the series only lasted or whatever. It didn't quite. So yes, that definitely helped that I touched on a nerve, which, which happens which happens with a lot of people, you hit something. Sometimes it's just simply like, you know, why, why would Angelina, J- Joey, and Johnny Depp do the movie that they did in Venice? Uh, because they, they got to go to Venice. So. Right. <laughs> Sometimes it's as simple as that. Other times it's a, it's something inside. Like Mel and I, on the good, like we had, we, we argued a lot. We had good arguments that were creative ones, and then there were other types. But whenever we started seeing each other, <laughs> I don't know who started this, but we would shake our hands like this, you know, and, <laughs> like, talking, talking days of yore. Oh, I'm going to go get me a stout. You know, you want some? Oh, wait. Oh, I'll <laughs> save this story. Remind me the medieval gonna... times story. Medieval like, times. Writing it down right now. Yeah. But yeah, so we would do this and we would, you know, let's go get some mutton, you know, and crazy stuff like that. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, you know what? If you are coming on next week, I think we save the teaser is you're going to tell us the medieval time stories and then we're going to go into Battlefield Earth and move into. Wait, I've actually seen the movie. (laughs) Huh? (laughs) I have not seen the entire movie. No, I have. I have seen. I've actually seen it. And I remember. And I actually (laughs) stayed with it. It became like a goal to get through that movie. Like I was literally like hitting pause. I, I watched it on TV and I was hitting pause going, I can finish this. I have to fit. I'd like, that's how much I am hating the movie. I can, I'll tell you stories about, <laughs> I can go into a bunch of stories about Battlefield Earth, but I actually, um, I wasn't available for, I was doing another movie. So I wasn't, they have to show the movie to the writer and I wasn't available and I didn't care because I, I read the shooting script then. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. And, um, and uh, yeah, so during the premiere, I, I left at one point, was outside for 20 minutes smoking, and, and I don't smoke. And uh, so I have never seen the entire movie, and I, I'm i not going to even try. Um, but I can tell. You're, you're a lucky man. Cause... Yeah, I can tell more stories about, you know, my conversations with Yuri Samaha over it and, what trying what Scientology tried to do and things like that next time we speak. Wait, yeah. I want to sort of make a quick I'm gonna make a quick plug because if I don't my agent vote. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I'm actually for the first I'm gonna do the Edinburgh Festival this year. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah I finally I finally I'm very lucky the producers I have are are really important producers. 
um, they are if it goes live. We it went from a 10% chance to 50% chance to 5% chance. Now they think it will go live. So it's it's in. Uh, have, you, have you guys ever been there or done the festival? No, no, I know. No. So it's supposed to be an amazing experience. Anyway, yeah. the, the name of the show. It's well, the poster is a picture of me next to a picture of me, of course. And uh, the name of the show is um, the name of the show is I'm with Stupid. <laughs> I my, love it. Well, th- so JD. We're going to have you come on next week and uh, we'll continue from 2000 on. Yeah. We'll continue the stories. This album blue, bro. I know. Blue. I, I'm so, I'm so bummed. That it's already four, but we're going to, we're going to close out. But JD, don't, don't exit out. Cause we'll chat yeah. after. Okay. And guys, right. you know, if I'm good, it's only because you guys are good and you know, <laughs> you know what it's like to oh. be on the other side. So thank you for making this. Uh, really enjoyable for me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, you're amazing. We appreciate you. So, folks, uh, stick around. Uh, hit the refresh button. Night Meds is on right after us. Yeah. And, uh, folks, that's drinks, jokes, and storytelling. Bye bye.